When I'm having a good hair day, that's when I'm my best self. I feel good. I look great. And I will say, painting sulfate-free rose water collection is a part of that. The Rose Water Collection. It feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Available now from iHeart, a new series presented by T-Mobile for Business, The Restless Ones. Join me, Jonathan Strickland, as I explore the coming technological revolution with the restless business leaders who stand right on the cutting edge. They know there is a better way to get things done, and they are ready, curious, excited for the next technological innovation to unlock their vision of the future. In each episode, we'll learn more from the restless ones themselves and dive deep into how the 5G revolution could enable their teams to thrive. The Restless Ones is now available on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Emily. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Today, we're tackling a subject that is super close to my heart. As someone who operates in the personal and professional development space, I so often see career advice for women cross the line into policing women's speech, which there's a fine line there, right? Because I think we're going to unpack some of the realities today about research that does show that when women modulate their approach or conform to a more ma- traditionally masculine, I should say, form of leadership. There are professional benefits to doing so in some cases, right? which is why this is complicated. But the way we present that information, especially as career development folks, is really important, in my opinion, um, because so often women are told, don't do this, don't do that, as though it's our fault. And I think I, I agree with you. And I think that I come from this as someone who used to try to make a living by going on TV. Like I, right. for a long time, I was going on TV shows to talk about politics and activism. And as a woman on TV, people have a lot of things to say about, a lot of opinions. you know, really everything, the way I look, my hair, once my bra strap was showing and someone was really had a lot to say about that, but specifically around voice and, you know, how you're, how you're speaking. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and, What's fascinating is because there's so much research behind this and information around it, a lot of people feel like it's their job to give women lots of feedback on their vocal tone or if they have vocal fry. I'm actually just coming off of like a four-day speaking crazy tour, and I've been doing so much speaking that my voice is sometimes lost right now. Would you say it's a little fried? I'd say it's fried, yeah. (laughs) So this is a meta episode. Do not write in and tell me you don't like the sound of my voice today, okay? Or really any day. We we don't care. We We, we don't don't want to hear it. Listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth instead. And that was something I realized as a student. Sometimes the way I was speaking, I could almost see my professors glazing over because they were paying closer attention to how I was speaking as a young college student who might have sounded a little more, you know, college-y, um, instead of listening to the words that I was saying. Right. And I almost, part of me wonders, I mean, that's certainly something that I've experienced. And part of me wonders if it's also like a trouble that people have around like youth, where it's like your voice sounds like someone young. And it's like, when you were in college, you were young. And Well, also maybe before life has 
chipped away at your your <laughs> your like unbridled youth. Your voice and was your, still full of hopes yeah, and dreams. It was still you hadn't been told that you sound like a teeny bopper twenty thousand times yet, so you hadn't internalized all that awful feedback. Right. Yeah. I don't think getting more jaded is is like a good thing. Right. Necessarily. It's not something we should be applauding or necessarily attaching right. like positive connotations to. Right. So let's let's unpack this a little bit by going over and I'm sure Listeners, these will sound relatively familiar to you. Let's go over some of the most commonly delivered advice for women, specifically around how to adjust your speech in a professional setting, and just break down the BS behind some of this advice. Let's okay? do it. Can we do that? Let's do it. So first, I want to talk about sorry. Sorry. I'm so sorry, but, you know, I think that there is a very bad connotation when it comes to how women use the word sorry. There's this perception, which is backed by research, that women say the word sorry more than men. First of all, that is true. But second of all, that does not mean that that is a bad thing per se. Right. Something that I found really interesting in the research around gender and apologizing is that it is true that women say sorry more, but maybe it's not because of the reasons that you might think. And so actually, men genuinely feel like they have less to apologize for. Therefore, they feel like they're apologizing like an appropriate amount. Women perceive things differently. And so they perceive that they have more to genuinely apologize for. So really, it's like the point is that it's not that women say sorry too much. It's that men don't feel sorry enough. Enough. Right. Which is that if you think about it, it's a totally different framework that is brought to the same exact conversation, the same exact data. And this is just goes to show how important public narrative and the, the story frame that we bring to this career advice for women really, really matters. We can either tell ourselves a story that says traditional leadership has looked domineering, has looked hyper-masculine, has looked unapologetic right. for so many years that apologizing doesn't fit that, you know, very strict definition of what it looks like to be a leader and therefore women should change. Or we can say, hey, why are men so bad at apologizing? Why has leadership traditionally been this way? Maybe there's a better way. And at Elle magazine, an article that really reignited this conversation in my in my mind, in my heart and mind from Sadie Doyle, uh, back in April, April 13 of this year, is titled, Women Don't Need to Apologize Less. Men Need to Learn How to Apologize. And I think it's so funny because you always hear about the non-apology, like, oh, I'm sorry you were offended or, you know, I like the non-apology, the non-apology or the like, sorry, not sorry. Like, right. I feel like I see that well, from, you know, Sean Spicer, yeah, maybe in the White like, House. He, I he, mean, spi- what? Spicy, as I sometimes call him. Spicy, spicy. He is the master of the like non-apology. Right. Apology. Yeah. So he was, he came under fire for comparing Assad to Hitler, as Hitler, a way to say he wasn't so bad after all. Yeah, I think his his line was like, "Oh, Hitler never he, he wasn't so Hitler low wasn't as so to gas yeah. his own people." Oh, wait, what that's is, exactly what? what he did. Yeah, I mean, regardless, let's not make comparisons to make light of the of the Holocaust. Yeah, that's I think a, that's pretty worthy of an apology, don't you think? A real apology, legitimate, an actual. I'm not sorry, a, I said non-apology. This. And what happened was the White House sent out a clarification. Uh, without saying sorry, he basically said, in no way was I trying to lessen the horrendous nature of the Holocaust. I was trying to draw a contrast. So he said, it's not, it's not me. It's you. Let me help you understand. Like, oh, sorry. Y'all took what I said wrong. Except but, he didn't say sorry. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a clarification. It. It's not an apology. And then just days later, United Airlines drags a passenger by force oh, off of man. a plane. He's bleeding on his way out the door. Everyone's freaking out on this plane, rightly so. Did they say sorry? And the CEO does not. Well, here's the thing. So he says... He did come out saying this is an upsetting event to all of us here at United. I apologize for having to reaccommodate these customers. Can we first, let's just pause there. <laughs> he has a really kind wow. of like wacky understanding of what reaccommodating. Like if I feel like if I'm being dragged, I'm not being, re- I wouldn't use the word reaccommodate. I know. One of my family members, I think, posted something on Facebook that said United Airlines will reaccommodate the <laughs> hell out of you. <laughs> and it's like, a, it's like total ministry of doublespeak 1984. <laughs> nightmare messaging. So all of this to go back to sorry is to call into question this kind of advice when levied against women and saying, oh, women conform to this strict standard. And then beyond that, if we actually unpack the data on sorry and women's use of the word, there's a lot of kind of wonkiness and 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 less than perfect research right. in terms of their methodologies that actually a past episode really unpacked women and sorry that Kristen and Caroline worked through in great detail, calling into question the research methodologies in those studies, which is troubling. But beyond that, what researchers are finding over and over again is that women use the word sorry, not just to apologize, but to empathize. Totally. And empathy is a great leadership quality. And it's not something that we should be, you know, lecturing really anybody out of using. I think that that's my overall issue with a lot of this. Yeah. well-meaning, benevolent, if yeah, you will. We did an episode totally all around this. Yeah. Um, but I, but the issue that I have with a lot of that is that it comes from a place where I think it's this idea that men in professional situations have adopted all of these maybe not so good qualities and that, and that women should adopt those same qualities. Right. So Without question. Em- exactly. Because this is what men do. And right. I, I always push back against this notion that advice to women to be more like men to get ahead in the workplace is necessarily good advice to be right. giving. And this actually happened to me on one of my first campaigns that I was ever working on, one of the senior male consultants who actually turned out to be a bit of a creep, Ugh. to be quite honest, and was uh, an like a really gross, sexist person to in many ways. But one of the kind pieces of advice he gave me early on in these few weeks that I spent on this campaign was, Never say sorry, Emily. You're admitting to faults that you don't need to admit to. And I was like, thanks. Great advice, dude. And then it's like, your leadership style is not my style, uh, you know? Like, yeah. And of course, noted creep thinks that yeah. you want, that you need slash want his advice. Yeah. It was bad. It was so the beginning good. of a lot of grossness from him. But, um, Yeah, I think here's the thing. I am in the professional development space. I just came off of a Boston Bootcamp weekend when I was talking to women about how to be more assertive communicators. So the hypocrisy here is real. And I just want to check that by saying what I have learned over the years as someone who goes over the research and instructs women who are looking to advance how to do so and are looking to negotiate how to do so is to start those conversations off by saying, listen, there is nothing wrong with how you speak right now. Right. You don't have to adopt or internalize, I'm doing all right. these things wrong because then you're just going to be thinking about it all simple. the time. It's yeah. not that binary. It's not right and wrong. What it is, is if you want to manipulate others' perceptions of you or would if you want to conform to a perception or to a style that is more likely to yield 
positive outcomes right. for your negotiation, job interview, presentation, or what have you, here are the tools I want all women to have in their toolbox. Right. Here's the card I want you to be able to play. And you cannot make that conscious choice unless you're aware of your own unconscious speech habits and your and your own way of speaking and how it's perceived by others. And then take that control, take that power, make that choice for yourself to adjust accordingly, which is very different than how a lot of advice comes out sounding, I think. Yeah. And I mean, I, I love how you put that sort of having a tool in your toolbox. It's like, you don't necessarily need, like every tool does not fit every right. work, every uh, built like, carpenter. Like, well, when you're, it's a bad when, analogy, right. but when, you get what I'm well, saying. When you're in trouble and in the principal's office, that's not the time to be sounding like no, the most assertive I person. I don't say sorry. Yeah. Right? Like, and I think right. the advice is so, what, what kind of complicates everything differently is things like age, race. Like right. I, as a black woman, oftentimes, you know, I think that black women in professional settings are, are taught and trained to be very aware of like the optics of how they present themselves, the optics of how they carry themselves. And I think that if you were to tell a black woman, like be very assertive, like don't say right. sorry, you know, make sure that you are coming off as confident and assured of yourself and blah, blah, blah. That advice could actually backfire. Not, it could backfire in a really spectacular way. And I think that we offer particularly women this like one size fits all kind of advice right. around yeah. how they need to be living their lives. And it just doesn't always work. And so thinking about it as a toolkit where it's like, right. yeah, if you need to, you know, if you were, if, you, if, if there was a situation where saying sorry was going to be helpful or signify that you were empathizing with someone's situation, right. you know, I'm so sorry to hear that you're going through that. Exactly. How can we? figure it out together. Like exactly. that is not an apology. And white women don't have, right? We have the privilege of not having to contend with the angry black woman trope and I, that black female professionals totally. walk into every day. It's everywhere. And so, you know, I think that it's always important to remember that these things are sort of, can be sort of a minefield and, you know, just saying like, don't say sorry is not going to be enough to cut it. Exactly. And the advice certainly doesn't stop at sorry either. There are so many other words that women have taught to be like, oh, you're not a good professional badass woman. You're not a boss lady if you say sorry. Or my latest and greatest one that I keep coming across is just. Just. I just want to ask you a quick question or I just want to interrupt here to talk this through. Nowadays, an app made a lot of press, right? A Gmail or Google Chrome app that helped identify when you were typing the word just in an email and how to eradicate it. The underlying assumption being when women say just, they're unconsciously qualifying their asks or their statements or whatever it is that they're giving as their professional opinion. But yeah, I mean, in doing research for this episode, we didn't find any empirical evidence around the word just. And why are we making you know, hard and fast rules and apps and, you know, pick, telling people to take this word out of their emails. If Women, especially, why right. are you telling women this? If this advice is like based on really nothing, it just seems like something that's kind of truthy, like, oh, right. it must mean when people see Justin in an email that they automatically assume like, oh, she right. doesn't value her contribution. And, and Yeah. And, and once again, it's on women to contort. It's on women to accommodate other people's perceptions right. of them. Instead of actually being heard for what we have to say, people are focused on the style with which we're saying it. And I, I hate that so much because, again, why aren't we, instead of creating apps, and I don't want to knock the people who make this app, but instead of making apps that take just out of our emails, why don't we figure out ways of making people who read those emails not come up with all kinds of assumptions about what we're, what we're saying right. based on using right. one word? 
Well, it's funny, and this is straight out of a Cosmopolitan article called Stop Telling Women to Apologize for Apologizing, which is meta in so many ways, but also applies to this just situation. She says, telling women to treat certain words like they're typos isn't a way of empowering women. It's a way of telling them to fix a problem that actually belongs to listeners who view women as weaker and less confident. I think that's, a lot of the way that I feel about this is really rooted in that idea that like, I don't actually think we should be telling women any of this, right? Like, I I think that we should just let women figure this out. I, I think if you're a woman who has figured out that, you know, saying just or not saying just, saying sorry or not saying sorry has worked or not worked for you, right? I think that we should stop, you know, over-lecturing and over-moralizing about women and their speech and sort of how it's impacting them in their in their professional right. spaces. Because there's just no evidence. There's just, behind sorry, that. there's just no evidence. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we are worked up about this topic, obviously. And there is so much more where this came from. But let's let's take a quick breather, B. And let's, let's calm down. Let's calm down and we'll be right back after this. Okay, so a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh my God, we've all been there. Pantene's Rosewater Collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rosewater because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally, and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them, so that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. Okay, the new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman have never been more hilarious as America's favorite moms turned gangsters, Beth, Ruby, and Annie. Already this season, there have been some big twists and breathtaking surprises. The fans love it, and the critics do, too. Variety calls good girls addictive and audacious. Entertainment Weekly says it's just what you need, and Rotten Tomatoes certifies good girls 100% fresh. So, if you've missed any of the new season, get yourself online and stream it now. And Sundays on NBC, watch it live. There's sure to be big twists and huge surprises. So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler-free zone. The all-new, all-hilarious season of Good Girls, Sundays on NBC and stream anytime. All right, we're back. Are you ready for this, B? Let's do it. Here, at the end of the day, I think it comes down to making the unconscious conscious. Because... Having unconscious, unintentional vocal tics, which we all do, we all have our buzzwords, we all have our vocal habits of choice that maybe often manifest when we're feeling nervous or when we're feeling under the gun, like an interview or recording a podcast. I was just going to say, if you ever want to become very, very clear about your verbal tics, start a podcast. Yeah, that's a great way to do it and, and open your email after starting said podcast, right? But if we... Make those unconscious tics and habits conscious. If we ask someone for feedback who actually has our best intentions at heart, 
if we maybe record and review our own speaking in advance of a phone interview or a, you know, a job interview or a big presentation that we want to really sound the way we want to sound, that consciousness raising really helps you identify the adaptations you want to make instead of listening to all this advice pour in from the peanut gallery. From people who have never, maybe never heard you speak, don't know your situation, and maybe maybe their idea of it doesn't actually fit your situation. The speech police. The speech police. It's the speech police. It is. Um, You mentioned, we, we were talking earlier about starting a podcast and how it impacts the way that you think about your speech. And I just had to shout out uh, the producers of the podcast, 99% Invisible, they basically got so many people writing in about their female host's voice, that they set up an autoresponder. So if you emailed them and they their filtered things like, oh, you're sending an email complaining about the female you know, podcast host's voice, you get, hello, you've written in to voice your dislike of our female reporter's voices. You're not alone. We have set up a filter that automatically sends these emails into a folder labeled zero priority. I love that. We'll review this folder and consider the complaints within, well, never. Amazingly, (laughs) we don't even have a folder for complaints about male voices on our show because we've never gotten one. Isn't that strange? We think so. Anyway, hope you can continue to enjoy our free podcast somehow. (laughs) And if you can't, there are plenty of shows that don't feature any women's voices at all. I love it. It's amazing. The shade in that is so brilliant. And really, let's talk about women's vocal sounds, too, because that's what's become such a big thing on radio and podcast hosts, especially. That email is so valid. Maybe we should come up with one of our own, BT dubs, right? I almost said BTS there. (laughs) I got to get my acronyms together. Um, But it was This American Life that had a great episode that really unpacked all the ways in which women on the radio generate complaints from listeners who have problems with things like vocal fry. What is vocal fry, Which is that low, creaky vibration that produces a fluttering in the vocal cords that you might know from the Kardashians. I read an article that said that (laughs) Britney Spears was an early adopter of vocal fry by saying, oh, baby, baby. Right. She's got that like super creaky fry thing going that was... Totally revolutionary. Hey, I've never heard that before. She's a millionaire, before. so she's yeah. doing something right. Um, some people say that young women who are known for creating or sort of pioneering vocal fry, or at least people pick up on women, young women's vocal fry more so than young men's, um, could be linguistic innovators. Mm-hmm. That's what Paige Sally on CBS Sunday Morning included in one of her segments on vocal fry. Maybe they're linguistic innovators, or maybe this is an unconscious habit. Either way, People writ large are very annoyed by vocal fry, especially when exhibited by women. And when surveyed, the population that found vocal fry most grating and annoying actually was women above the age of, I think it was either 40 or 50. Oh, that's so fast. That's not at all where I thought you were going with that. Yeah. Not at all where I thought. I mean, so it's just like everybody judges young women is the moral of the story. We can't win. Exactly. And I think what's interesting is that one, you know, Men use vocal fry too, but nobody Ira writes Glass. in articles. Ira I mean, Glass, hello. Noam Chomsky. No right. one thinks that Noam Chomsky is stupid because he uses vocal fry, right. but he uses it all the time. And <laughs> exactly. I'm sure that no one is writing articles that are like, hey, Noam Chomsky and Ira Glass, why are you talking like that? You sound dumb. Like women, I, I genuinely believe that this comes from a place of, of discomfort around 
women, particularly young women, in the public eye. So having a voice. voice. Yeah, having a voice like at any all. voice is to something. And the, the New York Magazine, in the cut, put it brilliantly with an article about female voice anxiety, which is really a better way to diagnose this problem, by yeah. the way. It's the audience's ish. It's not the, the artist or the, the vocalist ish. But it, she says here, for every wrong-voiced woman, the nominal problem is excess. The voice is too something, too loud, too nasal, breathy, honking, squeaky, matronly, whispered. It reveals too much of some identity. It overflows its bounds. The excess, it in turn points to what's lacking. Softness, power, humor, intellect, sexiness, seriousness, coolness, warmth. The fact that these adjectives come in relatively inverse pairs isn't a coincidence. We have some measure of control over the way we sound, but for women and minorities, the margin of error can be vanishingly thin. It's almost impossible to get it, quote, right. So basically, we can't win, y'all, no matter what we do. You're always going to be too much for somebody. And I think that I, in that quote, I see so, I hear so much of my own experience. So something I hate to admit is that I was a smoker for a long time Mm -hmm. and people always, and I, I picked it up kind of late. Like most people that I knew were smoking kind of earlier and I didn't start until later. And the reason why I started smoking, which looking back is so ridiculous, is that I thought I had this mousy, high pitched young woman, young woman's voice. And I badly wanted to have a voice like, Kathleen Turner, you know, a a a sultry, a little raspy, a little raspy. And so I thought like, oh, if I start smoking, I'll have a raspier voice and come to find out, you know, there's all kinds of vocal exercises and stuff that you can do. You don't have to pick up a very unhealthy habit in order to change the way your voice. Fun fact. Yeah. Yeah. There are other ways. Well, isn't it funny that it all goes back to being cooler? Yeah. Cigarettes and coolness. I just want it to be cool. We should do something about that. The same reason I bought my first leather jacket. I was very interested. But you are really cool now. Smoking. Plus it doesn't hurt, like harm you. Although the vegan in me thinks it harms somebody. But we can talk about that We'll talk about it. That's another episode. We should do something on that. Anyway. (laughs) So there's, um, I think the moral of the story here is you were trying to adapt your vocal sound already, perhaps unconsciously or consciously to combat the verbal pat on the head that young women professionals get. Totally. So many women in the office, and I remember this, you're giving your valuable insights and opinions that they're paying you for, and they think, oh, that's cute. You're so cute when you take over a meeting. It's almost like you think you have real power to say here <laughs> and you want to overcompensate for that youth. I definitely found myself overcompensating for my youth. Yeah. And I think, I mean, and again, it's just another way that women are taught to that all of the issues, like we just internalize them. And so it's totally. not society's duty. It's not your coworkers duty to respect you as an employee and respect right. your contributions. It's your, you've internalized it. It's your duty to somehow right. like level these things that they're feeling, whether they're around your gender or your youth or your race. And it's tricky because there's no perfect frame around that in the professional development space. Like the whole underlying assumption behind professional development is like self-improvement. Like you can adapt. Right. But I think what's really important as a humongous asterisk, or one might even call it a qualifier, Uh that I think is a very good thing, is to say... Before we give you this advice for how to change yourself and how you present to others, remember that how you present and how you speak and how you sound and how you look is great. And it's perfect in every way. What you're really doing, and it doesn't sound very nice, but it is about manipulating others' perceptions. But yeah, for the better. So much of that like, is what is your you know, goal and who is your audience and how can you adapt to make the most of that? But don't feel like every time you say sorry, you're just, you have to apologize for it. And I, th- I think that you really hit the nail on the head and that 
so much of life, so much of what we do and how we interact is about kind of subtly manipulating others to get what we want. And it sounds Perception awful. Perception control. Yeah, it's a, a better way to put it. But um, not really. Whatever. Yeah, but I, think- I don't feel any shame or guilt around <laughs> that, too. It's like, of course, you're going to talk to different people differently. Really, the, the, the term for that comes out of... um minority cultures around code switching. I was just going to bring that up. And so I think, you know, I remember, you know, my, so my career started, my first real job was teaching at Howard University here in D.C. Mm -hmm. Shout out, go Bisons. Um, But like, when I taught there, I was around people of color, you know, 99.9%. And then when I left Howard, that was the first time that I had to be like, oh, well, you know, do I, like, I had never really had to think about that before. Thinking about, you know, if I use a slang term or what are the white people that I work with going to be like, hmm, lit, what does that mean? Right. Yeah. Like, I had no sense of that. And I really, it was through kind of working and this sort of experiencing that, that I realized, you know, when to do it, when not that like, if I did it in some situations, it would, it would, you know, people would react yeah. this way. If I did it in other situations, they would react that way and really sort of internally calibrating mm-hmm. based on that. And so I, it was such a personal situation that I don't think an outside person could have come in and been like, here's the one size fits all around, you know, using black slang at work right. or whatever. Like it just would not have worked. Mm. And I think that experience resonates with so many people who have multicultural, especially multilinguistic cultures yeah. that they exist in, right? So my mother, we would all be so embarrassed. My mom was born and raised in Bogota, Colombia and Barranquilla, Colombia, like South America. We go to Chili's in suburban Connecticut, where we're from, right? Where I was born and raised. And we're out with our giant six-person family. And my mom goes, okay, what are you all having? It comes to her, right? The the waitress is waiting to take her order. My mom goes, I'll have two empanadas. <laughs> I want to have the chili con carne or whatever. Like She, she goes full-on Spanish-speaking as one would. Right. Because those are Spanish words. And, like- and you don't need to put on your gringa accent for fake fakesies to make the gringa taking your order feel more comfortable. (laughs) So there's a part of me that has become much more comfortable of actually sounding like a Latina when I'm speaking Spanish, even though I present completely white with my platinum blonde hair. (laughs) And so seeing my mom sort of model that behavior and then the resulting embarrassment of her teenage children. So you got, y'all were, we got embarrassed. Y'all were embarrassed on her behalf. Like, we're embarrassing us. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. But it's, it's her culture. Right. And like, yeah, like her speaking in the, you know, right, in with, the, an accent. with an accent of her own culture should not be embarrassing, but that we're so taught that we should be, you know, hyper focused on mm. how we're presenting in this way at all times is manipulate I mean, yourself. Yeah, we, right? we've, been, yeah. we've just been taught to do that. We've been taught to adapt for our audience's comfort. Always. And sometimes you might want to do that. Like when you're asking for a raise, you want your boss to be super comfortable giving you a raise. But sometimes you're just at Chili's trying to get an empanada. And sometimes you're just living, <laughs> let, let, let a live, let a Latina live, okay? <laughs> but, but, and so it becomes like the unsolicited career advice is what really grinds my gears, okay? It's the unsolicited, somehow people writ large, but I would, I mean, my experience, it's more often been a man. Same. Feel like it's not only okay, but it's a nice thing to do to give unsolicited feedback on how you look or how you sound. And what is that about? It's awful. And like I said, I mean, as someone who spent a very small time of my career trying to be someone on TV, right? It was all I heard. So I, I don't think I ever got any kind of unsolicited 
feedback about my looks, my hair, my voice, whatever, from a woman. It was always from dudes. And it was always, I mean, I mean, I just, it's when it, when it comes from, when I'm not asking for, you know, feedback, don't give it, right? right. Like, that's my number one thing. Well, that's like, something to think about for our audience, right? Like, you might have heard some great podcast about how women can adapt their style to be more effective at work or elsewhere. Right. Remember, and this was hard for me as someone who's very vocal with my opinion, remember to ask, say, can I give you some feedback on that? Just at least give them the opportunity to say no. Yes. Or, hey, I've got, I was taking notes while you're up there speaking. If you're interested, I'd be happy to share with you a couple of things that I've been reading lately that I think might help. I think that's key, right? Because you don't want to come off like someone that's just butting in because my number one thing is like, who asked you, right? That's always what I'm thinking when I get unsolicited advice. So you always want to make sure that you're getting consent before you start giving folks all kinds of feedback. And we have more solutions like that about how we can navigate this tricky stuff after this break. Okay. So a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh my God, we've all been there. Pantene's rose water collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally, and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them. So that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Here's the thing. Saving money with GEICO is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. So we were just getting pretty worked up about some of the annoying ways that people can police women's speech. But Emily, what are some things that we can do to deal with this? Well, I think what you said before the break about just checking yourself is a really important first step. Before you give unsolicited and perhaps unwanted feedback, make sure you're asking someone, hey, you know, I have some feedback on how to strengthen this part of your speech if you're interested. And second of all, for all of my fellow career development folks out there and personal and professional development coaches, Keep in mind that just because there's data showing that women, you know, should smile while negotiating because it yields better results or should have, you know, should stay away from vocal fry, which so many of us have unconsciously when making a presentation, just because the data is there doesn't mean it's right. Just because it's going to yield a better outcome for your career doesn't mean that's how you should speak all the dang time. Like the way you talk is fine. It's about you having the choice as an individual of being aware of how you're coming across to people, perhaps with some feedback from those you really value and care about and who have your best interests at heart, 
And then you get to make the choice when you want to adapt. Exactly. And I just have to underscore, you know, there's nothing wrong with code switching. There's nothing wrong with, you know, adapting your speech to fit a scenario. You know, it's really up to you. And I think keeping that in mind, you know, you don't have to be, you know, hyper, hyper concerned about what other people are saying is going to be best for you. It's good to have tools in your toolbox and what's going to help you get ahead. And other than that, just like, do you. Do you, boo. Yeah. Always. And, and you got to remember that we can't put style over substance. When people's style is grating to you, we as listeners need to do better at hearing the words that people are sharing and not being completely distracted by the style with which they're sharing it. I love that. Right? Like, I love that. It can't be style over substance. It cannot be. That's that's dehumanizing. Because think about people like one of my idols, Melissa Harris-Perry. She has a list. She does. Right? right. And like, she's brilliant. She's talented. And I think there was some article where she said, you know, people often ask, like, you know, why do you have a list? And you talk, you know, why did you make a living? Yeah. Right? And she's like, because I have important things to say and I'm going to say them. It doesn't right. matter if like you can't get over the way my voice sounds. It doesn't right. change the fact that I have something important to say. Also think about how many hours of her life she could have spent either getting training to adjust the way she spoke right. or studying and like sharing her brilliance with the world and like focusing on what she wants to actually do. Right. Like you as an individual get to make that choice and nobody else does. So and no one knows your life. Right. Like you know your life. Right. Right. And there's nothing that makes you less of who you are when you're adapting your style either. So on the flip side, if you do want to adapt your style, if you do want to ditch your, your the lisp that you were born with, if you do want to talk differently with your friends at Howard University, Bridget, and your friends in downtown D.C.'s high-rise office or MSNBC, that doesn't make you any less you. And I think a lot of times people get judged. Totally. We we do. And I think it's just not there. And we're all individuals. And, right. you know, but again, we're we're learning and growing together. And we need to be treating people as these unique individuals that they are and not making assumptions about their, you know, abilities based on things like they wrote just in an email or whatever. Right. And so the other two tidbits of advice and takeaways that I hope we can all leave today's conversation with are making blanket statements like all women, all women shouldn't say just or all women should stop apologizing is BS. Like, can we go ahead and say that not all women have vocal fry and not all men don't? Can we just stop with the constant generalizations around speech? Right. I think so too. And if you are like, if you are just on a Tear. If it is your life's mission to police people's speech, maybe just police men as much as you police yeah, women. Yeah, like right into Ira Glass. Right into Ira or, Glass and complain about his no, voice. Is Noam Chomsky? No. I don't think he, I don't think is he. Is he around? I don't know. TBD. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> he definitely would appreciate knowing that we aren't aware of if he's alive oh, or dead. Oh, sorry. I, he was a big part of my college development. I, I should know this. Like, what is it? Don't think of an elephant. Isn't yeah, that his yeah, yeah. Yeah. And from a linguistics perspective, I don't think he could be more important. Either way, good to know that his work outlives him if he's not <laughs> around anymore or it's bigger than his personal brand is because we're not sure if he is. Noam Chomsky's forever. Happens to the best of us. <laughs> but then finally, I think it's upon career professionals, especially those, those like me who are writing a column, right, for Forbes about how women can advance their lives and be more leader, be more leader-like and advance their leadership. It's incumbent upon all of us giving advice to career professionals to always be conditional, always be empathic around any advice that has to do with manipulating your personal style. There's nothing wrong with how you naturally talk. There's nothing wrong with how you present to the world. 
These are about making conscious choices and here's the research behind it and here's why this might be of service to you. Totally. And take it or leave it. That's the approach that I take. I love it. But I'll admit, like, I didn't start that way. I used to think this is the right way to do it and this is the wrong way to do it when it's just not that binary. It's not that simple. Yeah, I mean, and and few things are. Like, few things are that black and white or few things... Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just... I think that it's always a good idea to be pushing back against, you know, one-size-fits-all advice. I women. love... I love talking about BS career advice that women get, too. Oh, yes. I think there is a treasure trove of war stories there. And Stuff Mom Never Told You listeners, we want to hear what you got on this, right? Bridget and I shared a little bit about the ways in which we have felt like our speech has been policed in the past. And we had the choice. At the time, I took that advice and ran with it until I realized, hey, a couple years later, that guy was full of it. (laughs) And was a creep. (laughs) And was a creep. Um, I hope he hears this. So <laughs> it's just like you have to remember when you're getting feedback, you have the choice to take it or leave it. And you get you have the responsibility to yourself. You owe it to yourself to try to parse through the gender bias that all often is imbued in career advice that women get. So what advice have you received that you thought was total BS or what unsolicited feedback have you ever gotten about the way you sound or the way you speak? We want to hear from you because I hope that Bridget and I aren't alone in this. Oh, I'm sure y'all have stories. I'm sure. Uh, we want to hear good, bad, and other yeah. good career advice or career advice that you knew was BS or career advice from people that like, you know, why is this person giving me advice? Like, you know, you want to hear about it. Yeah. What gives you the right? And also on the flip side, have you made an adjustment to the way that you sound and has it changed your life? Have you gone from being a chronic person of who uses upspeak all the time at the end of her sentences? Maybe she's a you know, a West Coaster where that's much more prominent. And have you curbed that habit consciously? Have you changed your career around because of it? Has that yielded good results? I want to hear from you. I just, I just did it there. Although I guess I was asking a question. So I'm speaking okay a, question. a question. Right. I guess so. No. Oh God. So I, I think it's kind of a funny thing to talk about in a way that doesn't feel so heavy. Oftentimes these conversations are like, Heavy, here's how you're wrong. And really, at the end of the day, it boils down to people being uncomfortable with women speaking at all. So make your voice heard. And get comfortable with it, society. Yeah, deal with it. Here I am. I'm going to talk. With it. Deal with it. It's my voice. Yeah, so so we want to hear from you. Send us an email at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. Shoot us a tweet at momstuffpodcast. Or share a snap, I guess, of your voice, I guess. On Instagram? I don't know. Get creative there at Stuff Mom Never Told You on Instagram. (laughs) We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in. We cannot wait to hear your stories soon. So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 95% of women don't feel good about their hair. But Pantene is changing that. Pantene's Rosewater Collection combats bad hair days with an innovative formula that uses rosewater derived from the petals and buds of the Rosa Gallica plant. With Pantene's Rosewater Collection, I can really feel how much more hydrated my hair is. And it's sulfate, paraben dye, and mineral oil-free, which makes me feel good because who needs all those additives? Experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. The new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. 
Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman are hilarious as America's favorite moms turned criminals. This show is the perfect blend of comedy, action, and romance. No wonder critics call Good Girls your next TV addiction. And Rotten Tomatoes rates it 100% fresh. Ooh, Good Girls, Sundays on NBC. The new season has already had some wild twists, so watch live. And stream anytime.